Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, Let's wake up today. This is a pretty exciting day. Uh, This is kicking off kind of the school year routines here at church. We are are post-COVID, at least as far as, uh, hold your cheers, Uh, At least as far as our weekly routines, our daily routines, school, church, ministries, activities. So we're kicking off kids time starting today. Kids 35, it's uh, third through fifth graders are meeting tonight. That's the first time we're going to get that group together. Kind of a pre-youth group, youth group. Uh, Start getting them together. Talked about uh, life groups are going to be getting active again. We're going to have more information next couple of Sundays to talk about these small groups that uh, get together and share a little bit of uh, food and fellowship and and word uh, each and every month. And we're about to go through a church-wide reading of the Bible. We're going to go from the beginning to the end really fast so that we can see in one kind of glance the overarching story of God and how God always has, is, and always will be intervening in history and intimately involved in each and every one of our lives. There's a lot of things to celebrate, a lot of things to appreciate here this time of year. And today I just want to remind us to always make room for one more. Always make room for one more. It's something we need to be reminded of, actually. It doesn't... come naturally to humans. Uh, We're very self-centered people by nature. But uh, Jesus really made a pretty big point today in in the gospel reading about making room for one more. There's two things I want you to remember today. There's going to be two points of application, two things I want you to take home and and, and apply to your lives. So let's just start with uh, verse 1. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, tax collectors and sinners, that's kind of like saying the worst people of society and then the even more worstest, baddest people of society were all gathering around Jesus. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, they complain. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, that'd be like the pastors and the Sunday school teachers and the church leaders and the council and the worship leaders and were muttering and complaining that Jesus welcomed and ate with sinners. Now, for us today in our culture, Maybe a little hard to get the, the extreme feelings that they had. But first of all, first of all, we have to understand that this is not McDonald's. Right? When I uh, go into McDonald's for uh, uh, another supper in a sack, a 99-cent heart attack, right? prepared by someone I don't know, sitting in a plastic swivel chair next to somebody I've never met and will probably never see again. No, this, see, this meal is, is very different. See, the Pharisees, they understood 
what Jesus was saying. When Jesus went into their homes and reclined at their tables and dipped his bread in their stew and lingered in conversation, they knew that Jesus was saying, you are acceptable to me. Your God is my God. You are worthy of my time and worthy of my attention. And actually, I enjoy being with you. Now, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the church leaders were very offended by that. They thought, that's not the way I think God should react or treat those people, the worst of the worst of the worst. And so in this setting, from verse 1, we've got two groups of people. You've got the sinners gathered around Jesus, drawing near to him. And then you've got, what about those guys? Off in the distance, you can barely see them. They're standing outside the door. They're not, we wouldn't dare go in and eat with those people. There is no room for them at my table, and I'm certainly not going to go into their house either. Very, very offended. And this is where Jesus tells three short stories. Sometimes we call them parables. First, he tells about a shepherd who had 100 sheep. He's got 99 accounted for. 99 under his supervision and protection. There's one missing. And so he goes off after that one lost sheep and brings it back. And he's so excited when he finds that one lost sheep that he calls all his friends together and he celebrates and he thanks God for the lost sheep that's now been found. And then he tells a story about a woman who had 10 silver coins. She had nine of them in her purse and there was one missing. And so she lit the lamp and she swept the floor. She looked under the carpet. She looked under uh, uh, the couch cushions and she found the lost coin and she called her neighbors. Said, come on over, celebrate with me. The coin I lost has been found. And then the third story, we didn't read it today, but you're so familiar with it. A story about a father who had two sons. One son had just returned home after being lost and the other son had always been home, but as it turns out, in fact, was always lost. Now, the one son we always hear about, the prodigal son. This is the son who took the father's inheritance, went and just splurged and, and wasted all of it. And then came crawling back to his dad. I'm so sorry. Let me work as a servant. But the whole time, Every day, the dad had been looking over the horizon, waiting for his son to return. And the day that he sees him, he runs out to greet him. You know the story. Feet flying, robe, rings, the fatted calf, the whole story. And we know that story because we know that we're the prodigal son. We're the ones who had rejected the love of God, but we've now been restored because of the work of another son on a cross. 
We hear a lot about the prodigal son, but we don't hear very much about son number two. Well, he's actually number one. He's the oldest son, the son who stayed home, the son who was out in the field doing what he thought he was supposed to be doing all of those years, the son who felt slighted, the son who was angry when this worthless, no-good-for-nothing brother of his comes crawling back to dad wanting forgiveness. He doesn't have any room for his brother anymore. His brother had squandered, wasted his family's inheritance, ruined his family name. He's dead to me. And you can remember the father says to the side, You're, this brother of yours has come home. And the way the older brother responded was, no, this son of yours, he's no brother of mine. Don't make him my brother. I'm not going to go in there. Hey, you celebrate all you want. You welcome all you want. You do you, boo. But I am not going in and eating a meal with that no good for nothing son of yours. And the father pleads with his older son. He said, but we had to celebrate and be glad. It was necessary for us to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. And that's where Jesus' story ends. Kind of ends midair. It's a cliffhanger. We don't really know what happens next. Did the older brother ever come to fully recognize the immense love that his father had for his younger son and his older son? Was there reconciliation? Did the older son finally, he was convinced, okay, I will come in and eat and celebrate with my brother, long lost brother. Well, Jesus didn't finish the story. Maybe he wanted to do a sequel someday. The prodigal son two coming to theaters next summer. No. No, the reason Jesus left it hanging was because these stories aren't really about sheep, coins, or fathers and sons. These three stories are about God's foolish love that calls all people, all the people who thought they were on the inside and all the people who thought they were cast out into his family, all forgiven by grace in Jesus Christ and all brought together around a common meal. And so this parable, all these stories, they're really about us. Do we fully recognize that God's love is bigger than our love? It's really about us who think we've got God all figured out. That we know who's in and we know who's out. But those ways of thinking are unacceptable. God makes those decisions, not us. We're just called to love, to share the love that's been given to us and share the grace that's been given to us. So when one lost sheep coin or prodigal son returns, do we celebrate? 
Not always. Grumbling still happens. Muttering, complaining still happens in the, the church. I'll give you a couple examples. True story. There was an inner city dying congregation who reluctantly agreed to allow a group of immigrants to use their church. Not on Sunday morning at their service, obviously, but Sunday afternoon after they'd all gone back to the suburbs. And still, every week, the complaints piled up. The newly waxed floors are scuffed. Carpeting got stained. Somebody left a window open. The thermostat, it didn't get reset to the energy saving setting. And so they voted to exclude the immigrants, not only from their service, but from their building. That congregation no longer exists today. Another church, growing, seemed to be thriving from all outside perspectives anyway, came to recognize that there were certain groups within the congregation that needed shepherding, that needed, and so this proposal was made to increase the staff to add a youth minister uh, to shepherd, be spiritual guided for, for the younger members of the congregation. And the complaints started to come in. Well, the youth don't have any money. How are they going to pay for this person? All they do is play video games. Uh, why don't we just wait till they get married and have kids, and we'll worry about it. Somebody said, well, what about that? What about that one kid that has a tattoo? You know, the guy with the long hair? And that girl, did you see what she wore to church last week? Do we really want these people gathering around our communion rail? Complaints still happen, but they end here at this altar, at this meal where God invites all people, insiders and outsiders, uh, immigrants and founding members, teenagers and housewives, businessmen, and you and me to receive the wonderful gifts of God given and shed upon the cross for the whole world. This is point number one. I'm not saying this is a big problem here at Desert Foothills, but it's a little problem in every church. And left unattended, it will metastasize because the natural uh, entropy, if you will, <laughs> of a congregation is to be self-centered, to be inward focused, to care about the 99 people that are here, the nine coins we already got in the purse. The one son has been here working away all the way from the beginning. And we have to be intentional. And we have to remind each other to at least keep one eye up and out into the community 
for that lost sheep, for that lost coin, for that prodigal son or daughter, in your own family maybe, a friend, a neighbor. See, uh, John Wesley was a pastor in England, 17th century. He said, I want the whole Christ for my Savior. In other words, I don't just want like my, my buddy Jesus that says, you know, really wise things or really cool parables or love your neighbor, love your neighbors yourself. Like, I want the whole Christ, the one that challenges me, that says, pick up your cross and follow me. When it says, greater love is no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. I want the whole Bible for my book. Not just the Psalms that give me a little comfort. Not just Luke 2, the Christmas story we read every year, Christmas Eve, the kids. The whole book, the Ten Commandments, Paul's exhortations to the church, to the Christians living throughout the world. And I want the whole church for my fellowship. And I want the whole world for my mission field. Here, a quick example for point number one, fighting the tendency, naturally tendency to, to be self-centered, self-focused as a family of faith. Let's talk about the growing legacy capital campaign, the big facility improvements, expanding buildings, remodeling buildings, building new buildings. Why are we doing it? Is it for the 99 sheep that are already here? The nine coins that we've already got in the offering plate? For the son that's been here the whole time, working away? No. No is the short answer for that, right? No, this is for our community. Ultimately, this is for that lost coin, that lost sheep, that that prodigal child uh, who's out there that God wants to draw in So you think about the color of the carpet or how many windows or whatever you you might be concerned about. Is is this for me or is is this for my community? Is this for the people that God wants to invite in? Because we've always got to make room for one more. There's always one lost person out there. Because in the end, really, what is the greatest day in the life of a congregation? Is it the day that you lay the cornerstone? Well, it's a joyous day. There's one right behind that green banner. You can see it today. 1998, the cornerstone was laid. Well, is it the day we complete all of the building projects? Well, I'm going to be excited. That's a joyous day. Uh, Maybe it's the day a church pays off its mortgage. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be good. Or maybe even the day a new pastor is installed. Oh, that is exciting. Uh, No. No, that's not the greatest day in the life of a congregation because all of those things are means, aren't they? These are all just means to an end, a goal, the mission, connecting more people to Jesus. So number one, keep one eye up, out, looking in our community reaching for the lost. And number two, something the older brother didn't want to do, it's actually something the, the people in the parables probably didn't want to do, 
uh, come over in the middle of the night and celebrate with this lady who just found a coin? Yeah, big deal. You had nine already. It really wasn't a big deal. And if I'm a shepherd that has 99 sheep, I lose one, I'm not going to leave them in the open field to go after the other one. That's absurd. Yeah, that's the point. That's God's absurd, reckless, foolish love that he has for everybody. He relentlessly pursues everyone. And when one sinner repents, what? There's more joy in heaven than over 99 who need no repentance. So point number two, celebrate. Celebrate. I think we have a fun church. I, th- I know we have a fun preschool. I think it's a part of who we are. We've got ice cream today after church. Anybody want ice cream? Why not? We're just going to have fun. We need to celebrate the things that God is doing in our lives, the things that God is doing in our church family, the things God's doing in our community through us where we see God at work and thank him for it and celebrate with each other. No, the, the greatest day in the life of a congregation is when one sinner is grabbed hold of by the Holy Spirit and faith is created in their hearts and water is sprinkled and Jesus is confessed. These are the names of people who've been baptized here at Desert Foothills this year, including Lola, who's 92 years old. 92. David, 82 years old. Sandra, 65 years old, right here at this congregation, in these waters of baptism, where God is at work bringing the lost home, finding the dead and resurrecting them. So I need your help this morning. You ever been to a sporting event? Anybody? Anybody been to a sporting event? Anybody had your home team win, and what did you do? Did you stand up? Did you cheer and clap? All right, maybe you're not into sports. You ever been to a concert? Rock or orchestra? Classical, whatever. And at the end of the concert, did you stand up? Did you celebrate? Did you give thanks for that wonderful gift? All right. Well, the greatest day in the life of a congregation is where God calls his people together around his gifts, a day not unlike today. Today, we celebrate. I invite the band to come on up. I invite everybody else, stand up on your feet. I'm going to help you out this morning, you Lutherans. I know we don't praise God like this very often, but I think for all the things that God has done in our congregation, don't, not clapping for me, not clapping for the band, right? Uh, I think we can give God thanks and praise this morning. Can we do that together as a family? There's, yeah, I like that. I like that. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the gifts that you give to us, especially the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the gift of the fellowship that we have with our brothers and sisters. And we thank you for the opportunity and the responsibility that you've given to us to share that wonderful gospel with our neighbors, uh, to bring your love, your reckless love, into their lives that changes their hearts, transforms lives, Lord. Uh, Help us to do that each and every day in our own lives, but 
especially here as a congregation. When we come together, uh, we have that opportunity to make a real big impact in our community. Lord, help us to do that in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Amen.